Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Union Digital Bank a fully digital bank with a mission to empower every Filipino everywhere by providing easy access to digital financial services for consumers and businesses. Union Digital Bank partners with startups to co-create financial products to meet the needs of their customers. Contact Union Digital Bank to explore how they can power your platform with embedded financial services. For more information about Union Digital Bank, please see their website at www.uniondigitalbank.io. Stay updated by following them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Also brought to you by PayMongo, the payment gateway for business growth. PayMongo allows your business to accept online payments from your customers through Visa, MasterCard, Gcash, GrabPay, Maya, online banking, Buy Now, Pay Later, and many more. All with just one platform. Sign up for free at PayMongo.com. And brought to you by Seatcap. SeekCap is a lending platform powered by UBX Philippines. With SeekCap, you can easily apply for a loan from 5,000 pesos up to 1 million pesos from the comfort of your own home nationwide. Visit www.seekcap.ph, sign up, and apply for a loan now. That's www.seekcap.ph. Take your business to new heights by seeking capital with SeekCap. Seek your glory somewhere else. If it gets in the way of like having a profitable and actual like functioning organization. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. 
Now here's your host, Ronster Baityong. Welcome to this episode of the Hoshiro Podcast. We finally got this guy. We're going to the town down under. Not not on not in Australia, but in the Queen City of the South. And shout out to my very big dad mentor, Alexis Dabon. Again, who's uh, the, the common denominator between me and this guy. But before we get carried away, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Ryan Tan Yu of Early. And Mata, whoop, whoop. Thank you. Right, yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just pointing at Alexis because uh, we were chatting. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's amazing. So again, tell him I apologize because we had a little bit of a delay. We had some uh, maintenance at home <laughs> that we had to do. But again, Brian, thanks so much. I'm happy we finally got My this pleasure. done. Again, been been hearing about a lot about you for the past couple Probably years now. I've been seeing you every once in a while. But before right. I get carried away, I need to ask you the million-dollar question. Ryan, what's your hustle? Wow. Okay. Well, the hustle is really just rooted on, like, well, first of all, profit, right? You know, it's got to make money. It has to be sustainable. And I think at this point in life, I'm 33 now, I'm thinking, like, hustle now means to me teaching others how to hustle. And I don't necessarily mean that in an altruistic way where I want to teach people, but like, you know, just passing it down, passing it along to my children, to our managers, and perhaps embodying some of those qualities that I know a hustler must have in order to make it in this world. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. Again, you have two startups or you have two companies. I'm very, very curious how you're able to do one or two at the end of the day. But before, again, we get carried away, I need you to buckle up real quick. We will ha- we ride the Habal Habal in Larshan. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll pick you up in Fuentes real quick. But before we get carried away, <laughs> I need to ask well. <laughs> you to buckle up because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. Oh, ha. You say para when you have to go down now. Para. Para. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good again, Ryan. Before we talk about your two startups, I, I need to understand first your your origin story. So again, you are a buy. All right. You are a, a buy in, in Cebu. I want to understand what was it like growing up? What was the environment you grew up with? And who's your early exposure or inspiration for hustling? Okay. That is a very elaborate and that actually uncovers a lot, that question alone. So as a youth, I don't think there was anything remarkable. I didn't exactly like, you know, I never made it past like second honor. So it was like not like I was the most stellar. What I do remember is as a kid, I had in my report card, my teacher saying that I was the most restless kid, which <laughs> kind of manifested its, you know, into like an ADHD, uh, um, a mild ADHD uh, diagnosis uh, in adulthood. But uh, as a kid, yeah, nothing remarkable. I was just the middle of three children, middle two brothers. Mm-hmm. Yes. And however, I could attribute my um, entrepreneurial endeavor to is that corner that was turned when uh, at age 16, I ran away from home. So for a couple of weeks, I was homeless. And that was my uh, kind of reality check. You know, I was a bit, I think, growing arrogant, thinking to myself, oh, I can survive by myself. I, I have enough like hustle in me, but only for reality to like slap me across the face, right? And saying or telling me that, uh, oh, it's not that easy, boy. And uh, so at age 16 is when really I could say pivotally, I uh, started hustling. 
So I did pretty much everything from like carrying buckets of prawns across a pond to like being a conductor and selling stuff, reselling food. And so, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think age 16 really is when I started hustling, but I didn't really make it into like an actual form of business until I, I turned 21. Got it. So when you were hustling back then, what was the chip on your shoulder? What did you want to prove? Because again, the fact that you ran away from home, there's something that you don't agree with, right? And That's if you're, correct. you don't agree with something and you're trying to prove a point, right? then of course you you carve your way. But what was that that you were trying to prove? And is that the same thing you're technically trying to prove till now? Or did that evolve along the way? More the latter, that it has evolved along the way. But an important piece of context that must be brought to light is that like half by that point at age 16, I was living half my life under a, a stepmother situation because my mom died when I was eight. And I was like, okay, so... I've had like eight years, and I remember thinking this distinctly that for the first eight years of my life, everything was great, and my mom died. And then uh, for the next eight years, it was like completely the opposite. I was plunked out of school, like I had like you know all sorts of academic challenges. So at age sixteen, I was like, okay, well, it looks like my environment really isn't uh, working for me now. I mean, it was like half my life then, so I was like, okay, I'll, I gotta make changes here, and that was that was my second attempt actually at running away from home. Got it. All right. Now that that's true. I can relate a little bit because I was brought up in a single parent household. And there was a study, I, I forgot what it was. If, if you're listening to this, we'll put the link to the study in the show notes that entrepreneurs uh, or founders, whatever, whatever you want to call us, right, typically come from a chaotic family background. And that trickles well into the startup because technically it's self-inflicted chaos when you're running startup (laughs) (laughs) and you get used to it. So early in your life, if that already is the norm, this is easy peasy lemon squeezy, right? Absolutely. I agree. I don't know anyone, I think, that like I know does exceptionally well in the field of business that has, you know, a story or two to say about their chaotic upbringing. Yeah, there's a little bit of who got. I'm not saying that if you live in a harmonious that you can't. <laughs> that you can't. I'm just saying there is a study. It's not a right. zero-sum statement that we're doing here. There's a study that if you came from a chaotic environment, you're probably going to do well if you try to do business. That's going to be very, very interesting. So, yep. After this, okay, you, you did this and you did all these hustles in, in between. I want to understand first because it's e- for those people that hustled early, I started working when, when I was... 17, 18 years old. And I worked in a call center. That was my first job. And I did a little bit of a hustle before. I think one of the things that I did is so sold makeup for my mom and all these things. But what I understood was I, I was unlocking skills that I didn't know that were life skills that I can use forever. That I still use now, right? Like kapal ng muka, the ability to, to talk to people and whatnot. That shit's still with me now. I want to understand during those early hustles that you were doing, what were the skill stacks or the foundational skills you were developing in yourself? Uh, uh, unfortunate. Uh, unfortunately, I got to start with this because this is that like the most, I think the, the biggest skill that I learned. And that is like learning how and who to trust. Mm. Yeah. Judging character. So yeah, there, like the character, like, you know, knowing how to read people, like, um, the early 
the early as early as you can perhaps you know dig into the true intentions of every action is like you know the, the earlier the better and as you know your your success in the outcome the ideal outcome of that collaboration or of that like interaction is determined by how early you can pinpoint the true intentions so yeah i say unfortunately that you know that's my first skill that i learned because you know i well nobody really wants to live in a world where you see the malice in in a lot of people and that's something that i actually had to grow out of thanks to my wife who kind of like brought me to a different perspective like cuz you know i was I was seeing the world through uh, a perception that was like say tainted by that early life experience. Yeah, like somebody's going to fuck you up all the time. Yeah, yeah. So you always like you always have your guards up, your wall high, the and H. you're always <laughs> suspicious. In, in yeah. other words, in the streets, it's TH. You know what TH is? That's as TH. Tamang hinala all the time. <laughs> like, hmm, right? Yeah, you're going to be F, you're going to F me up. Right and then and you know not having been wrong once like i mean i'm not saying that i'm never wrong but like those reads i mean absolutely they have or the, those reads that i've had kind of like steered me clear of problems that i i see many people see many people like encounter you know all throughout their not just academic life but career or entrepreneurial uh, you know plight that's very interesting and i want to understand because again this is something that a lot of entrepreneurs must have not saying that you should have it but if you have that soft skill early on it really technically gives saves you a lot of pain down the road in your entrepreneurial journey because at the end of the day you're right everybody has an agenda but if it's an agenda that is zero sum where it's either you or me win and it's not a win-win situation you're going to see yourself in a lot of messy situations right but if you have the ability to have a radar and see who who actually is trying to look out for you and has good intentions as they're also serving their agenda. That's good. But Ryan, how did you develop that skill early on? Because again, this is something that's not taught. And I guess this is something that you develop again through doing. Nobody tells you this shit. But if you're going to put a system to how you were able to do that, how did you do it? Okay. Unfortunately, it required a lot of like uh, mistakes, right? Like trusting the wrong people. And I like elaborate this this summary with like parentheses, right? The first and the last, let's say. So the first, my first impression, or excuse me, my first, say, uncovering of this dynamic, what I came at age 12, which was the first time I ran away from home. And I lived in a billiard hall thinking I was skilled enough to live off of my winnings, only for all of it to like be like swept away at day three. Like I was doing fine for three days. And then I met someone who, uh, I, I don't know the word for it in the gallery. He fleeced yeah, you. Like, yeah, yeah, right. So I like you know you 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 thought you could. I mean, well, I was twelve, right? But anyway, that's the first, the beginning of that story. But the most, say, the crescendo, the end of it was in as recent as year twenty twenty. So I had a partner. I had a co-founder that, well, still owes me money, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I I, I kind of wince at the thought of actually having been a co-founder with a guy like that. But long story short. I mean, I'm not going to name names here, but like, you know, so easy to narrow down that this guy took off with like 10 M total, like from local investors and a measly 300 K belonging to me. So it's like, that was like the crescendo and knowing that, you know, I was like deeply engaged with a person like that. And I trusted, of course. So it's like, oh, I'll never do that again. But again, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like you evolve out of it from, 
age 12 to age 2020, I was 30. So, you know, it has, of course, gone through like multiple uh, waves of like trusting and untrusting. And that kind of required a lot of mistakes to be had. And of course, the most important part is having learned from those yeah. mistakes. No, but how, how do you see, again, just I think a lot of it has to go with pattern recognition. Now, again, you don't want to be overgeneralizing people and, ah, okay, just because you are like this, you must be like this guy. But again, through meeting so many people, uh, over time, you kind of see that ah, okay, this is the, there. There's something fishy here. If he's trying to do that, what are these red flags that you kind of look for? You said that if you've developed this ability to judge someone who who's probably gonna f you up, right? What what's that like? How what how do you operate, and how do you steer clear away from trouble? Ah, okay. So I have this. This chart that I uh, oh, kind of like, yeah, I, I drew it, drew it up myself. It's like <laughs> okay. I, I actually wish I could pull it up now. I know it's okay. gonna take me more than a minute, but um, send it to me. I'll put it on I the will, show notes. Okay, there you go. Yes, so it's the high value chart. So in in the path to success, you want hype or say recognition, promotion, revere, right? To go hand in hand with the value you create, not just for your employees, but say your community, yeah, your value to society. So they must go hand in hand, right? They must go, they must have a linear proportional relationship. Now, engineers stereotypically make more value than hype. So engineers like kind of, it's kind of their weakness to like promote themselves. Yeah. But they're just not in their system. They, they don't want to, right? They, they would rather that other people talk about them, of course, but not them themselves, right? Meanwhile, on the flip side, there are the, uh, let's say, scammers that like, you know, generate more hype than value. Now, to me, and this is kind of controversial, I guess, especially for someone like me that does not have an engineering background that runs a software engineering company. If that hype exceeds the value you generate, you know, I, I, I start like, hmm, like distancing myself because it's like, it seems you're overselling yourself. And, you know, what I mean, the, the controversial part that I was talking about earlier is that, you know, a lot of people oversell themselves, like, you know, the fake it till you make it attitude. And actually they pull through, you know, a lot of people do that, that they sell first a product and then build it. So totally understandable. But, you know, the moment because it's a slippery slope too. The moment that you start overselling yourself and then overextending yourself and actually start becoming like a menace to society because of those things that you sold that you couldn't cash out, that's when you start, yeah, perhaps drifting in that direction of like being a scammer. And, you know, I've seen like five at least in my in my lifetime, people that actually like, you know, landed, made a splash land in, in society and like over years, five or six, like dipping. And like I said, unfortunately, my co-founder, ex-co-founder mm. was one of them. No, but how did, okay, last question before, because I'm just really interested about this. This is a super skill. I haven't, if this is the first skill you develop, this is freaking amazing, right? Because actually, I, I don't remember anyone who, who developed this skill as their first base skill set, right? But how do you, if there's a hype value index that you're looking at here, right? What you don't want to do is wait for the bubble to burst before you identify that, okay, this guy is all hype, no bite. Yes, right? that's correct. And actually, there is a, the, the, I'm also going to share this in the show notes. So the difference between a real hustler 
and a martyr is this. So oh. like, this is probably the hype wow. and work. Yeah, yeah. Combo, Talk and work. Right? So I someone who just does a lot of hot the a lot of top and not work is a charlatan. Yeah. Fake. You know, you're all just uh-huh. hype, no bite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is uh, you probably mentioned the one that you engineered earlier. Does a lot of work, doesn't talk about it, is a martyr. Right? Yeah. Wow. But a true blue hustler talks big and backs it up. Is this the is it that uh no, exactly? This... I didn't know this thing existed. I'm like, wow. <laughs> oh, there. This is this Talking is work. what that is. So a charlatan. Okay. okay. You see this a lot inside a pH. There's some that talks big. <laughs> No bite, mm. right? Mm. Then they're smarters who freaking hustle like crazy, but just don't tell the world about their excellence. And this is why I exist because I want to show the world this freaking amazing guys. And these are and they're hustlers, a true full stack hustler. And just like in the words of Beyonce, he talks that shit because he can back it up, right? You can <laughs> talk big and back it up. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a true blue hustler there. Okay, wow. I mean, that illustration that you showed actually just kind of resonated resonated with me in so many ways because I was trying to draw it, like I was trying to look things up that represented like visually, you know, that kind of um, dynamic. But yeah, great. Well, Thank you for showing me that. No worries. Okay, <laughs> that's also how I judge. But I developed this now later. That's not my base skill. <laughs> <laughs> I got fucked up so many times too. Uh, yeah. But uh, well, I, I just realized, oh, okay, so that's what it's called. A charlatan is someone who talks a lot, doesn't do the work. A martyr who doesn't talk at all, does a lot of work. There's a martyr because, yeah, you're, you end up doing all the grunt work and charlatans take advantage of you. And the true blue and full stack hustler talks big and backs it up. That's it. Okay, so okay, uh, we went on super tangent, but I love, I love, I love this topic. Okay, so after you develop this, the skill in the, this base skill of having a bullshit radar, technically, mm, or a charlatan exactly, yeah. radar. Let's just give it a name. Uh, yeah, let's go. Yeah, that. Charlatan yeah, radar. Ryan yeah. Tan, you charlatan radar. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, okay. I'll, 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 I'll like you know immortalize that. I'll write that out. That's you. Okay, it's yours. Okay. So what? What's the? Uh, what's the next part of the story? So okay, you started early. Did you leave school or did you pursue school? Because dude, your English is freaking superb. How did you develop that? Wow, thank you. No, I uh, stuck it out. Like college uh, was self funded. Well, at, as early as a third year high school actually, and so I worked a full time job all the way through. But if you're talking about English, was a call center. There you go, foundational skills, <laughs> English. There yes. you go. What was your fake name in the call center before? No, I didn't. Actually, Ryan. You, Ryan. Yeah. Okay, wow. You never, <laughs> same to I was Ron also. Ryan, right? yes. But how did you develop that foundational skill of speaking English fluently? Because again, if you master it and you just co- get comfortable in that, even if some people, oh, you sound like a call center agent. I don't give a fuck. This pays my bills. So I don't care, right? How did you master this skill for you? Okay, so so originally it started with me. Well, I was editor-in-chief in high school, right? But I really couldn't speak, right? I mean, like oral recitations were like hell for me. Essay, give it to me, let's trade. So, so okay, it was through 11 call centers, all right, that I went, Holy went through. Holy shit, yeah, you did in 11? A, in, a, in a span of like two-ish years. Like, Where I, did I think you meet I did that Alexis? Math. 
Okay. No, over motorcycles, actually. Oh, the, not yeah, at the, the call center. I, oh, wow. Are, okay. Yeah. Over motorcycles, I met Alexis. Uh, we just have this like same like rare Ducati yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Dukes. Uh, category. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, this is the, the thing that I want to highlight about English, actually. It's one, yes, the communication had to be like on point, right? Especially if you're representing a company, especially if you're like, you know, the, the nature in which you communicate must be elaborate and articulate. That's one thing. But personally, I've always felt like we're, I mean, as human beings, we're only connected by communication. Like the only, the only reason that we come, you know, we, we, we work with each other is because we can communicate. So, which means to me, you know, threaded by that underline of collaboration thinking, if my ability to succeed in collaborating with other people is directly proportional to my ability to communicate, to share my thoughts, to articulate like outlines and shared visions, then communication absolutely must be on point. Like I I can never end learning as well as I can how to communicate better and better and better. And I'd say over the years of doing that is really how, really how like I've mastered communication, at least to a degree that I believe can serve me in my day to day. Okay, two things. Because there's a learning curve here, right? You're going to have to unlearn your bulols and your accent from the Filipino way you, you do things. So first question I have is how did you develop that confidence? Because everybody has a learning curve. I started like a motherfucker when I was starting out, right? But I just stuck it out. Eventually, it affected my confidence. And then all of a sudden, I felt like I'm no longer translating Tagalog words to English and it just felt more natural. And all of a sudden, this is me now, okay? This is who I am, right? But it took a while, right? Probably, but it's, it's repetition. How did you get over that first hump? Because majority of the time, it's those people that don't, never get that first hump who never get to cross the bridge and maximize the effects of being a great communicator, being able to speak fluent English, right? What was that process for you? Okay, so it started with me wanting to stick out, like wanting to be someone, right? So like to be known for something that not a lot of people are known for. So to me, initially, that was stunting. All right, uh, so it's completely a different tangent, right? But like, so I did professional stunts with motorcycles for a while. Got paid for it. Just just (laughs) enough to like, at the height of my like career. I did not know that you're evil Knievel. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the height of my career was like I had this thick of a, of a contract by EDS, and I'm like, well, that's not. Uh, I guess that's not the life that I really want to live. Like, you know, I'm dancing for money. But what I did feel that I could be, like, because I wanted to be like, you know, someone, and perhaps a simpler way to say that is like, I wanted to be popular. I had to, like, because I, I, I was shy. I was well, still am actually. I'm an introverted person. But I needed to like get by with the times. Vlogging was like big, well, becoming big then. I was like the third or fourth vlogger in the Philippines, you know, b- back when, in its heyday, like 2013 or 14. And I did, oh, a motor vlogger. I mean, that's a very important distinction to make. And so that confidence, I was behind the camera. I was just talking. I had a script that I could write. I could ad lib kind of evolved into me being on stage. Like, you know, I had to be on stage. I had to like wing it. I had to like, fake that I'm confident enough on stage. And actually, I know I have this kind of, say, negative outlook on like faking it till you make it. But true enough, in my career, I have had to. I've had to fake like confidence on stage. Absolutely. You overcompensate at first at the end of the day, right? Correct. Borderline borderline Napoleon complex. But again, when you 
just persists through it, it, re- it becomes natural to you. Right? It's like a performance that ah, all of a sudden you just flip the switch naturally and just boom, that's you all of a sudden and you're not faking it anymore. Okay, so when this happened, right? You you said you put yourself through school. Describe to me the second thing I wanted to ask is what's that grind like? Because I did that grind too. Full time student, full time, full time call center agent. I was only able to do it for a year more tops. I only had four hours of sleep, but I felt like through that journey, that's when I realized where okay, shit. If I'm gonna do this grind. What will be the cost to my body to ever get to what my North Star was? And that North Star was to buy my mama house. Wow. And how long will it take? Mm. Right? So I said, shit, I'm not going to get it done. I mean, not saying that it can't, it's, it's just possible, but I wanted to find the back door. And the back door was through entrepreneurship. Right? But again, that grind taught me so many things about myself of how I can literally push myself to the limit. In terms of doing two things that I care about a lot, which is school. I wanted to finish it. I didn't want to be a freaking A student, but I just wanted to finish it. So my mom has can't tell me nothing, right? And then I <laughs> right, wanted exactly. to do the call center stuff because it's fun and I'm making money and I'm learning how to speak English well. But that grind was freaking grueling, right? What was that grind for you and how long did you do that for? Okay, so, so for four years, um, my... That was my mentality, like just getting there. All right. Just yeah. barely. All right. Just make it. Yeah. Just, just make it just so you get the diploma. Yeah. That's it. And um, to me, actually, I, I, I realized that um, I was just like deep into it that I just had to finish yeah. um, before, you know, just uh, flunking out because I, I felt like I had to um, just do something that I know I've done, like I, that I could look back to, you know, mm. I'd, I'd say that, yo, no, I finished. It was grueling. It was like total hard work. I, I I would actually walk home with one eye closed, thinking, you know, I could get it some rest. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other and you know, people are, are long and say, well, like, what the hell is this guy winking at me for? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, a 15 minute walk actually. University of Cebu and uh, yeah. my uh, like a boarding house. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but but that was uh, always. Um, I mean, I, I thought to myself, like to be honest. I mean, to be honest, I thought I could, I could like live off of that kind of lifestyle. Like, yeah, exactly as you, as you described, four hours per week. Fortunately, my first job, which was uh, well, that was a job actually that uh, put me through college, mm. was actually a little uh, like lenient, let's say. Right? So could... bound. Oh no no no! That wasn't call center yet. I was a oh, parking okay. ticket boy. Yeah. 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 So, so um, it was a little lenient. Uh, and this is how, right? Because uh, we're, we're sent out to the field and uh, we're asked to like report back to the office to like clock out. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, I hope I'm not incriminating myself here, but I would not clock out and just kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, talk Sorry, my I don't way think into... they're going to run after you like, hey, yeah, we like, overpaid right? you. <laughs> <laughs> Two decades later, they uh... would. But, um, but yeah, that's uh, that. That's really uh, that was key to to my survival because that right. that truly is what it was survival. Okay. Um. So yeah, I think I think that's how. No, but how did you do the call, the call center grind then? Because if you were doing the parking ah. ticket uh, grind, how did that turn to the call center? Because again, I still see the remnants of it. Right. Same way, the effect of the call center industry just put me through this. Imagine if I'm talking like this and I'm talking to you, Ryan, and you and I will be, you know, ain't nobody fucking listening to this podcast for sure. Right. Um, right. What, 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 uh, 
how did you do that grind and how did that translate when you were doing school, call center grind? And what did you then acquire in terms of that skill stack that you learned about yourself that you can do while you're being in a call center? Actually, okay. Um, I actually saw it. Uh, and I, I said 11 call centers, right? Um, yeah. Actually, more technically like 13. Oh, um, shit. But like others like you are only did training for the other two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Just like training or maybe a week more. Okay. Um, but uh, I actually considered call center jobs as education. Like I yes. learned about technology. I learned about the in, inner work. And you're getting right? paid. And you're getting paid, right? Yep. You're getting trained. You're getting paid. And uh, um, so that flexibility, I actually, yeah, I think that flexibility, um, because, you know, being a working student, I was allowed, um, right, to pick my shifts. That flexibility, I think, has really manifested uh, not only in my entrepreneurial plight as like personally, but also in our company. So, for example, right now yeah. at Mata and Early, we actually offer a flexi schedule where they put nice. in 40 hours per week. And, mm. you know, that avoids all these uh, inefficiencies like brought upon by, say, traffic. Yeah. Um, inability to go to a government office because eight to five, you know, you can't take time off work. Um, and if you have to take masters, for example, if you want to like further your studies, you'd have to like, you know, perhaps shift your career so that it can accommodate your desire for further education. That's not a problem for us. So we've, I'd say, uh, we have in many ways, um, taken to heart the flexibility yeah. that I have been like benefiting from yeah. in my early days to yep. now. What about alone. the hard skills, dude? Um, how what just like for me, I'll, I'll I'll say it. The shit that I took from the call center, obviously, is the ability to talk well, the accent, and just being natural. I, I don't translate yeah, shit that. from my head anymore, right? But I didn't sound right. like this. But the other foundational skills that I learned is number one. My first one is my first calls. I only did three three call center jobs. The first one was uh, sales, so telemarketing. Now I'm not afraid to freaking call anybody and just freaking shoot my shot. How did that translate? In in startup life, you will freaking sh- do cold calls every time. So I knew how to do cold ah. calls from the from the get go. Didn't, that didn't scare me. I knew how to get out, get get past the the gatekeeper, get to the decision maker, and shoot my shot, close the deal. The second thing that I learned uh, was my second account was customer service. So now you're taking it in, taking it in all the time, angry and whatnot. So whether it they're irate, they're meek, or borderline an idiot, you need to be able to to walk them through the process and have that patience that, you know, I'm trying to help this guy solve things. My third one was tech support. That was fun because now I was being technical about things. I knew how to solve problems. So a bit of customer service yeah. and being quick-witted and having the problem-solving skills to be able to help that, that, that customer. And the most right. important thing is having the voice that you're not panicking like, hello, what am I going to do? <laughs> this customer is panicking, right? TL. Early on, <laughs> TL. They're too, they're too, help me out. Um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do that. And as a young age, right. if you develop that poise, and I still do that till now. Those are mm. core foundational skills that I have. And 100%. lastly, the, the call center culture that nurse no mammon, sir, for every mm. single startup since party file to chatbot to, to PNA. Bruh, that, that's how I roll. Nobody calls me sir, no calls me mom. Call me mom, you're a weirdo. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that. I took that from day one of my job in the call center. What are those foundational skills, Ryan, before we first we take our first break? You know, I wanna, I mean, I wish I could say that I learned to sell. Mm. I to be honest, until now, until now I say that with 100 percent truth, I really can't sell. 
Mm. You I, have I, tools I'm about to curse there, so but you, like I think I, you figured it out. Mm-hmm. So so actually so um I I'd say in the in the in that chart you showed earlier, which is that you know you're a charlatan or a martyr, there's a value in being a charlatan at least for a certain duration, yeah. right? Until you become a hustler. Yeah. Because then you validate the idea, right? Correct. Um of your uh of your product in mm-hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. Um meanwhile, ako, because I had let's say a, a, a kind of um uh, a repulsive impression of mm-hmm. uh, like charlatans. I really kind of overcorrected and like did the exact opposite, but like so much so, like too much so, I would say. Mm. Um, and so basically, I would say, for example, my first actual business was a retail company, uh, a retail business for anything you wear as a motorcycle rider. So it could be anything from helmets to gloves to boots. Yeah. Um, and what I did uh, in order for my business to thrive was number one. Well, first of all, I was the only a provider in the in in, in Cebu. Um, mm. well, I mean, you know, this was before Lazada, so like mm. online. I was the first to like offer a cash on delivery because wow. I was delivering it myself. <laughs> um, and uh, so that I, I'd say that uh, um, that's uh, how uh, that's how I sold. All right, I created value and I stuck with it, and I communicated about that value. But when people showed up. And um, started selling, or you know, started uh, opening up to the opportunity of me selling them. I just couldn't walk through that door. So going back to that question about the foundational skills, mm-hmm. I, I wish I could say that I learned to sell, but I never really did. However, what I did have is, and and this is, I'll say this in two ways. Um, number one, I learned to be calm. I learned to pace myself. I learned to communicate in a way that makes use of void, of silence, of like yeah, pacing in a word. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, right? Uh, and and I really carried that all the way through like adulthood, right? Like or the, all throughout my entire career. But the second more important part is I learned to be humble. So um, at twenty one, I was becoming arrogant because I was like ah, the biggest supplier here in Cebu. Um, I was making money and like you know my garage could fit like four, uh, three, three to four cars at a time. So I'm like. Yeah, I'm good. I'm settled. I'm 21. I'm doing. I'm doing all this stuff, and then I would go back to work, mm. <laughs> and then be berated and like be forced to take everything. Right? Take it in the ass, but by, by, by nothing. Go. Right? Mm. Like, I mean, there was nothing you can do. You just had to take it. And I was like, wow. Uh, well, I was I was feeling arrogant about myself. Like I was feeling good about myself, thinking that uh, I'm the shit. But then here I am. I'm still working. Right. I'm still slugging out, like waiting for the 59th minute. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, that's really the the more important part, I would say, the humility. That's good. All right. Now, let's take our first break. And when we come back, we will now talk about how did you evolve from doing call center grind, the next stuff that you did that you can't find in LinkedIn. This guy is mysterious. Until how that translated to Ehrlich and Mara. But let's talk about that more after the break. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate their growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at PH, the country's biggest SaaS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back to the break. We are still with Ryan Tent, you of Mata and Erlik again. Told us the foundational skills. We 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 stayed that in that topic uh, a little bit longer than usual because I really love that we're talking about charlatans, martyrs, and hustlers, and then foundational skills. Um, it's rare that somebody says that as their base skill. So I, I love that that's your skill. But again, you can't be creating companies with just hum humility and uh, their charlatan Ryan Tan you charlatan radar you know you, you can't just uh, do that what was the next steps in your career that was monumental so again you put yourself through school graduated what was the next hustles that you did and uh, what were the stuff that you learned through that okay so um, my last job before I started companies was marketing right so that was the career that I left um, so uh, after a, the the call center you did marketing right away and you just stayed in that lane okay correct exactly okay with the early so, stages what was that like well what companies were you marketing and what, what was that like well surprise surprise motorcycles <laughs> oh okay two so, nine a rider you are a two nine a rider we have a podcast that's called two nine a rider oh right right yeah, yeah. I mean I've been looking forward to meeting them actually yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. So if you need an intro, I'll intro you to Iba. Oh, I would love that. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um. So marketing and uh, in that career actually is when I where I, where I learned that actually marketers kind of overstate. Like I was so hung up on this technical like accuracy with mm. whatever you were telling the world about. Mm. Um. That you know whatever exactly what the product does is exactly what you were uh, what you tell the world, but mm. not really. In the world of marketing, everyone's trying to over communicate, like out communicate the other. So that is how I started with uh, the idea that, oh, well, you know what? If I can be a charlatan, all right? I mean, uh, yeah, I was 23. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was, I was 23. So I thought to myself, like, oh, this is the way the game is played? Uh, why don't I get on it? So for four years, I did that. I was a marketer. Um, so, of course, there was an evolution through those four years. But towards the end of that job, uh, there was this reorganization within the company where I had to report instead of directly to the C- CEO mm-hmm. um, that I had to report to like a VP who like, mm-hmm. well, we just didn't get along well. And I was okay. like uh, feeling arrogant about myself, about the way I can communicate certain values and like, you know, these business endeavors like that are on the side that I've always had all throughout mm-hmm. adulthood. I'm like, well, I'll probably start selling because, you know, it's my life on the line here because I, I have yeah. to quit this job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. So so I'd say that's how, that's how I transitioned, right? So from a marketing career, I in my car- marketing career is when I saw the trend of virtual reality, um, mm. the advent of ad, uh, of immersive technology, and seeing for myself that oh we're not making the most of it yet here in the Philippines. And yeah. you know what I would wish uh, that could happen if I could have a hand in this realization eventually mm. is that if VR became like what the Philippines is known for. Yeah. So so I was thinking to myself like my pitch will go five years from now. And that was 2015 at that time. Mm. Um, five years from now, if anyone thinks VR, they think the Philippines. In the same way that at that time, everyone thinks uh, customer service, they think Philippines, right? Yep. Um, furniture back then, Cebu, right? So that was my kind of uh, pitch. And I went to um, this uh, like event. It was a startup event. Mm. Um, and then I found out like along the, uh, like further down the road, I found out about this DOST grant. Um, a startup. Uh, it was an R and D grant. It was called back then. Okay. And uh, well, I basically just elaborated that pitch. I said, uh, "Let's make it so that uh, we have the talent. We have the ideal breeding ground because as Filipinos, we're hospitable and we are uh, among the highest in terms of uh, emerging technology adoption in Southeast Asia." Yep. I mean, we're highly social. Like we're the social media capital, text capital. Cheese miss capital, Marites capital of the capital, world. There yes. you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, uh, that was how um, I started with, uh, in, in like actually taking it forward in the in terms of um, building a business, really. And that was called Mata VR. <laughs> okay. Now, before we talk uh, Mata VR real quick, I'll just go on tangents a little bit. Just again, for you mm-hmm. to stay four years, five years in a in a marketing job, you must have liked it and you must have um, oh yeah, 100%. you must have, and it's motorcycles too. So that's a that's something that I obviously love. I want to understand again the foundational skills that you also built there. Mm. And again, you wouldn't have stayed there if you didn't have direct access to the CEO. Two yeah. things I want to know. All right, so what was it like in terms of marketing that you developed? Because it's not easy to market mar- motorcycles unless you're se- you're selling underbones or. Uh, screws, right? That's an right. easy commodity to sell. Yes, but if you're selling a little bit more of a wider range, you're gonna have to sophisticate yourself with with your markets that you're trying to tap, right? So, what I want to understand those marketing skills, and later on, I want to understand the the other stuff that you've learned being exposed to a CEO or or maybe him as a mentor. But let's mm. talk about the first one first. Okay, motorcycles. What what was that like, and how did you develop your skills over time? Okay, so I can actually like uh, summarize this uh, or like outline this in two like two major points. Okay. One, um, the communication, uh, which we briefly discussed earlier, um, yeah. where at this point as a marketing um, professional, I wasn't just talking for myself, right? I wasn't just convincing whoever was in front of me. I was yep. now engaged uh, among uh, along with like two other uh, officers as well, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, engaged in a process of like taking the entirety of the messaging and the like pretty much all the mediums of communication that this brand communicates to its people through okay. and like elaborately composing it in a way that will like communicate to not just a wider audience but uh, on a more impactful way right mm-hmm. so so basically uh yeah point number one is communication um that goes beyond talking. It's about visuals uh, and, and digital marketing, uh, which was like such a buzzword back then, mm-hmm. was my role too. So yeah. digital marketing, uh, it was. And uh, 
Now that's communication, or in other words, outwards, right? Um, inside out, from in to out, mm-hmm. however you want to say that. The other, the more important part, I would say, the bigger half um, mm-hmm. is being able to receive data and mm-hmm. analyze it, where to find it, the sources, and in what way do, do the insights generated from this data manifest themselves into outwards again, into communicating. So that back and forth, like receiving and processing data mm-hmm. and like communicating then, you know, added with the the essence of your brand. Got That's it. that back and forth really is what solidified over those four years, I would say. That is amazing. Okay. Now again, what what did you learn from being so you said you were a direct one down to the CEO. And for four years, man, you're, you're gonna learn a lot. What were those skills? And did you consider him as a mentor? And what were those uh leadership and entrepreneurial skills you learned being under him? And give him a shout out if you want to give him love and shout out. <laughs> there you go. I will, I will. Um mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, yeah, I hope he he knows uh, that I say this with love, mm-hmm. but like you can't expect much from a twenty eight year old. He was a okay. twenty eight year old CEO. Um, I mean, I say that with love, right? Mm-hmm. Because actually, I'd say, I, and I keep saying this, I keep repeating this, that um, uh, he he was my first mentor. You know, who um, is this mystery person? If you if you want to give him a shout out, uh, sure, that's David. Uh, David, David King. David yeah, so King. shout out, Sir Dave. There you go. <laughs> shout out to you, David King. Yeah. And mm. uh, but you know, he was uh elaborate in his uh pretty much everything, and you know, in and and I that's the guy that really gave me like a kind of a Hollywood story uh like uh job. How how mm. it came out was that he was on stage one day, he was talking about their products, and like mm. backstage I approached him, I said, Sir. I'm a passionate motorcyclist. This is what I think you should do with your products. Mm. But like, you know, I, I was what, 22 or 23 mm. at that time. Mm. So it's like, what, what does this kid know? Right. Yeah. So he was like, well, if you come up with a plan, approach me, I might take you to China. I'm like, bet. <laughs> so, right. so I did. I came up with a marketing plan, which I laugh at if I, you know, if I look back to it, but well, at least you took the shot. I did. And that's mm-hmm. how it started really. So yeah, he's my first mentor. He's the first person to believe in me. Um, and he was the first person that I approached actually with this business idea of mine when I resigned. I said, mm-hmm. well, sir, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, setting out on my own, um, yeah. starting this business. If you want to be an investor, it was like the most, like, uh, uh, most laughable pitch ever. Okay. Um, but that was, that's, yeah, that, that was how, uh, or he, he's the first mentor that I've had. Nice. What were those things you, again, just a quick, quick rundown. What were the, if he was your mentor, what were the things that that he left an indelible mark with you on. Okay. Um, I got to dig deep for that. Uh, aside from, of course, it was such a pleasure working with the guy. Mm. Um, and uh, he really, like looking back, right? I I can see in many ways that he has actually just been like playing along. Like, for example, I had these wild ideas and mm. they were like, yeah, okay, sure. He wouldn't like really shoot it down. He would let mm. me like explore. Well, he it. listens. He did. Yes, he mm. does. And that's one thing. Um, but again, like looking back now, I'm like, oh, what, what wacky ideas those were, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I, I can see that he really was patient and he really did listen. Okay. Um, and to me, I think that's really a, a char- uh, characteristic that I now um, like really uh, value, especially as nice. I'm dealing with my own employees. Correct. That's amazing. All right. Now you, let's just fast forward again. Um, you now have this grant that you're applying for in VR. How did that become from a pitch, a wild ass pitch that you said 
to becoming a company? So obviously you got the grant, right? How did then that turn from an idea to a product to a company? Okay. Um, I, I wish I can take credit by saying that, oh, it was an elaborate strategy. It started with the R&D and, you know, all the way to becoming the company that it is today. No, uh, it started as an R&D grant with the ultimate intention being to bring VR to the Philippines in a way okay. that it will stick. Okay. Um, and well, the OST said, well, you got to have industries that you have to positively impact in a measurable way. And I'm like, okay, what industries can make the most use of this technology? Tourism and real estate, like service level. That's what I could think of. Okay. Um, so through the course of that R&D project, um, and uh, it was also notable that we were one of the first three companies in Cebu to have ever been funded by the OST. Nice. Um, so yeah, and at the time it was like 25, I think, startups. Uh, and then... Uh, only three were from Cebu, but like, you know, that's a win for us. Yay. Mm -hmm. But really the value that I get from that. Oh, oh yeah. I can summarize in two ways. The value of number one, being responsible of a bigger circle. So what I mean by that is like more personal, right? I'm no longer just building a business that unlike the retail business that I would pay people like in cash and no legal, like no SS mm -hmm. big, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. Those were things that I had to, and, you know, and partly in, uh, thanks to DOST that I mm. had to. Okay. As I said, I had to learn the whole thing, the payroll process, holiday, the premium. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah it, it gives me, it mm. gives me flashbacks, right? Yeah. Um, so that, uh, that's one way that it has benefited me personally as an entrepreneur, mm. um, looking after a bigger circle. So that's one. Um, and then uh, the, the second is actually like, Digging into the market, like understanding what the market needs. So 90% of the reason that startups fail, right, is that they built something so beautiful, but nobody's using them. Like nobody wants to use them. Mm -hmm. And it was fortunate for me that I thought, actually, I started with that mentality. Like, look, VR, it's the, the next big thing. You companies yeah. should adopt it. That was initially my, uh, my, my thought, my mindset. But because of the project, I would say, and the deep collaboration that was uh, resulting from it directly between me, us as a team, and the local government units and pr the private sector, okay. you know, especially in the realm of introducing something so novel, right? And convincing them that it has practical solutions. It brings with it practical value to your yep. business. Yep. So, so that was like, yeah, in those two ways, I would say that the value of that R&D project, the DOC mm. grant, manifested all right. Oh. Um, it's a way into becoming a commercial business. And mm. through those collaborations, like through the years, uh, we kind of, uh, we were like, uh, to borrow a phrase from a friend, um, we were like taking apart and building back up a ship while we were sailing, you know? Yep. That's so, startup um, life anyway, too. <laughs> <laughs> building a plane before you crash after jumping off a cliff. There. there right? So, And then that's what we did like along the way through those years. And we've kind of figured out a way to charge uh, businesses in a way that, you know, that's high enough for us to be profitable, mm. but not not too high that they don't want to give you their money. All right. now, so, here's, so that's how. All right. I want to ask you, because in 2015, I, I, I remember the biggest sort of like the boom time of VR and AR it's happened somewhere in between 2017, 2018, 2019. That's when it went mainstream because Meta was saying, yo, yes. we're betting we're betting on Oculus. Because I was right. in 
I went to F8 in 2018 in San Fran, no, San Jose in, in, in the States. Mm. And yeah, the, the, there were two things that stood out there, which is chatbots in AR VR. Oh, AI. Right. Okay. Um, but in 2015, you were very, very early in the game and you only had a grant. How did you then manage to survive and figure out how to be an entrepreneur? For sure, there's a lot of pain points and many failures you had to go through. Walk us through those early uh-huh. okay. spotterings that you were doing. Yeah, there's an important distinction to make, uh, which is exactly in what extent did I did my influence and um, you know did my say skill set and expertise like manifest into okay. the you know companies that they are now. Okay. Um, but before that, I have to say that the grant I applied for it in like 2017, okay. and so I was kind of like bootstrapping, hustling out by mm-hmm. myself uh, since then, right? But it was only in um, 2019 that we actually got the grant. What? So what did like, you do for two years? So yeah, so for two years, I was actually I did gigs on Upwork. I uh, the gigs wow. were I made pitch decks. So uh, nice. I, I have this uh, kind of uh, egotistic way of saying that uh, I've never seen anyone make presentations as beautiful as I do. Not, not, nice. not necessarily functional. Yeah, <laughs> but, but they're pretty as fuck. <laughs> that's pretty. <laughs> so um, nice. I did that. So for actually startups, um, that also matured my uh, understanding on startups, actually, um, okay. because I did pitch uh, pitch decks for them. Nice. Um, blockchain, especially, because it was like a very, uh, like it was pitching to practical or excuse me. Okay. Um, to businesses, like how do you pitch yes. blockchain to businesses in 2019, in 2018, mm. you know? So for those two years, did you have a team or you only got the team when you got the grant? Uh, no, I have always had a team, but they were more like, uh, maybe they're there, maybe they're not, you know? Ah. It wasn't like you employ them. Half, half. Only, okay, got it. Yes. Um, but only when when I got the grant, actually it took me months before I like kind of pulled the trigger. I was so hesitant with the, you know, with the, with the power you're given, the responsibility. Yeah. You know, that takes a toll. Holy shit, five million all of a sudden, what am I supposed to do with yeah, this shit? Yeah, right? right. I couldn't do anything for months. Right. So um, from, yeah. from, from from that point where it's just like, again, because a lot of people, when they get funding, and especially when you're young, I, I got my first funding, I was what, 24, 25 years old? I didn't, dude, wow. that's scared shit. Oh, you, yeah. It's scary you're, and you're, it's like, holy fuck. You shit. know the value of money. Right, you know, and that's that's a check. Anything seven digits, especially if you grew up here in the Philippines and you grew poor, and you you, you knew Absolutely. that that you get to that number, holy yeah. freaking shit! That's that's scary. So how right. did you get over that hump? And what are the first things you did? And again, what were the early mistakes after getting the check? <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, okay, I made a lot of mistakes. Fortunately, none of them are costly enough for me to remember. Yeah, not fatal. Right. There you go. Yeah, no. But uh, and and this is something where uh, where luck starts playing a role. Okay. So the first thing I thought of was all right. I knew that I like I I had like the lowest of grades in accounting. So it's like I can't depend nope. on my I'm a I'm business ad right Bus- business nope. uh, administration. But like accounting, no. I know I know I just barely passed that. Mm-hmm. Um. So I had to as soon as the grant was coming along. Um. I knew that I had to have yeah, to get help. From professionals, mm-hmm. um, I went to DTI, who right. was actually, you know, some uh, the 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 entity, the business, or excuse me, the government agency that I can credit uh, to, like actually um, disseminating information about the grant back then. Um, I went back to them and said, "Look, I qualified for the grant. I did through the whole two year process. Blah blah blah. Now the money's coming. 
And uh, yeah, funnily enough, that was uh, yeah. Okay, well, I won't. I'll steer clear of the negative stuff for now. But um, I knew I needed help with taxes because what I remember is that if you from accounting is if you exceed three million in a in you know in your receipts, then you automatically would be like VAT registered, and you know you belong you belong to a new tax system now. Um, and uh, so I went to DTI and DTI hooked me up with a speaker, one of their speakers uh, from like previous events, which uh, unbeknownst to them, actually, I was, uh, you know, trying to like date uh, at that Ooh, point. There yeah, you go. so that's luck. That's what I'm saying, right? Um, I ha- I found someone who helped me with taxes. Okay. Um, and this is the punchline. Like uh, they hooked me up with someone because I was looking for someone to help me with taxes, but I found love. <laughs> no, that's uh, okay. and that's luck right there. Okay, what's um, happening with the love? Is she the love of your life now? Is she? Yes, yes. There you go. Bet the best clothes you've ever made, my man. Best clothes ever. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she helped me through the the finances, and okay. especially you know this is someone that has uh, like she worked with uh, SGV, which is like right. Yeah, among the and biggest That's a perfect combo. Firms. If you don't like numbers and the, the, the person you oh, love does 100%. the numbers, my God, what a double win. A hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> like in every corner in life, actually, that comes oh, handy. Man. You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, someone so helped funny. me with numbers. And mm-hmm. actually now it's my first advice to um li- to uh startups because fall in love with your accountant. <laughs> <There> you <laughs> <laughs> Find someone that's good with numbers. Oh. Um but and try to like... fall in love with them, have a romantic <laughs> relationship. Oh, you know what? Actually, I have like <laughs> an opposite, an opposite. Uh, it, it worked out for me because I got lucky, yeah. right? Mm. But I have this very opposite, like uh, a contradictory um, insight to that. Because like, I mean, humans are fallible. I mean, human beings are all like, you know, unpredictable. And sure, you may fall in love with someone. (laughs) But like, what happens if she, you know, for some reason you broke Mm. up for, I don't know. Oh, your books are screwed. (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) <laughs> so that was as recent as a reason was that yeah. that was like as recent as two years ago. I thought like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. That's the that's how I <laughs> triggered my panic attacks. Like I had panic attacks because of the thought of potentially us breaking up, and I'm like, so it's not just me being screwed over as a person because like the love of my life is gone, but like, what about the companies? <laughs> Mm. So Holy that, shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's a so nice that's my over you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Don't I break know. up with me. Oh, I everything. will screw your books. Oh, oh right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Everything's in her name now, so it's like I'm all yours. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, she closed you. There you go. Yeah, you that's are, true. That's true. There, yeah. That's it. Okay. So before we, we before this becomes a love podcast, okay. <laughs> So after this, okay, you you got these things done. What else were the biggest mistakes and how did you find traction after that? Okay, traction came in the form of, uh, well, first of all, trust. Mm. So so we have companies, oh, excuse me, we have um, clients Mm. whose companies um, can contract the services of someone that offer like like greater quality service that are Mm. much much more expensive than Mm. us. Okay, but these companies stick with uh, stick with us because number one, um, the foot in the door method is just like, well, we will will do one thing for you for so little uh. pay, and you'll see by the end of the day that we're we're good people to work with, and that's really like trust is really the first form of traction that we've got, okay. um, and that's in the form of like collaboration with local government units, um, with the uh, now secretary when back when she was mayor. 
um, now Secretary of Tourism, uh, uh, Christina Prasco, okay. um, the governor, you know, with whom we collaborated to create the virtual island of Cebu, mm-hmm. and private institutions like Mega World, uh, Ramona Boites. Um, so we started with like really small projects and we were just happy to get paid uh, a measly amount because we were hoping to build a relationship with them in ways that will commercially like, you know, um, uh, expand. And uh, true enough, uh, w- with these companies, we're at like project number five or number six as of today. So wow. trust really is uh, what I would say is the form, uh, first form of tracking to seek. Okay. One of the hardest things to do is building a team. How did you build your team? How did, and did you stumble along the way? I felt that pain when you, bre- when you inhaled right there. How- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yeah. Was that okay. Like? Um, the, the first red flag that I had with my um, ex-co-founder was that person screaming at like at, at a subordinate. All right. Mm. And, um, well, this was true for me until last year, 22, yeah. Um, yeah. That I would never scold anyone, I thought, all right? I would never mm. scold anyone. I will stick it through my entire entrepreneurial life without having to scold anyone. That, you know, of course, I broke that um, last year. But the point is... You have to do it. You man. have to. You have to. You, 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 yeah. if you, you have to. Okay. One of the things, I, I'll just uh, interject here real quick. One of the things I struggled with also as a first-time founder is I cared too much about being liked. Ah, right. Yeah. Your job as a founder is to get to the freaking North Star and sometimes it's going to hurt. Yes. Sometimes. And you need to learn that, okay, sometimes I'm going to be so intense, you're not going to like it. But we need this and I need your help to get there. Whether yeah. you like me or not, I don't care. You need to get you get us there. When I was younger, like, oh, guys, uh, I didn't want to be the bad. I would never wanted to be perceived as the bad cop. Was that something that you had to go through? That borderline when I'm going to get pissed now, I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take it because I don't want to hurt you. There. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and uh, it wasn't actually, I never really scolded anyone um, until um, I, okay. Uh, this is very sensitive, but I'll try to articulate this. Until I knew that there was someone in higher mm. management that they can be a friend of, because mm. I that because that was me, you know, I ha- I was a friend. Um, and so you know, threading it back to the question, which is like, how did you, did we grow our team? Mm. First of all, my like employee number one, who's our operations manager, Jamar uh, Osigan. Shout, Shout out, out Jamar. Um like stuck it through like we were together uh uh he was well someone approached him to like spy on me <laughs> okay uh yeah I'll, I'll maybe another story but like mm. um over time he saw like the value in the you know the company that i was trying to create and okay. he became employee number one mm. and then uh employees number two and three were our first software engineers mm, nice that, that I would say, uh, and again, shout out to Raymart and Vincent. These two, the resignation, I've had resignations over time, all right? I've, ha- I've had over 100 employees. That's normal. Mm. But the first two resignations kind of hit me. Like, you know, they stuck with me for like two years. Uh, and uh, I thought like, dude, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that you get career growth, um, self-development. Yeah. And we grow together. That's what I thought. But then, you know, it was too obvious that you know just at that at that time doing virtual tours there was not a lot of career growth for software mm. engineers like Correct. it's so predictable yeah um so so yeah go, uh, growing a company from well i think those first three are uh what i would say monumental to my um 
development as an entrepreneur, as an employer. Okay, no, that's true. Um, because as founders, you get attached also to those, and you have loyalty to those who who help you out, especially yes. from day zero, from the zero to one process, right? Yeah. But one thing I also learned over time is that, okay, I get super attached. I'm super grateful of of their job, but it's in their best interest. Whoever I'm working with, there's no such thing as forever in a startup, right? You, you can have your team, but eventually they were going to have to find better opportunities. And sometimes those, uh, um, those opportunities will not come from you anymore. Everything is finite. So now when I realize right. that over time that, okay, my job is to make you the best version of yourself while you're working with me. Yeah. So it would be a waste of my time if I'm going to let you work with me and I work with you and we're not pushing each other to... We're not growing. Right. Uh, to... To do it because at the end of the day, you just wasted your time. And how many years can you only work? Right. But if right. you can work with me and I maximize your time while I you're under my employment and I make you a better version of yourself through the time, just again, like working in a call center, you acquire yeah. new things about yourself, blah, blah, blah. That down the road, when you feel like it's your time to jump out of the nest, then I'd be your first best supporter. Right. So yeah, there you go. I just realized that through time because again, I had, I had that same thing. Oh my God, it's hurt so much when somebody resigned and he was a core thing. But <laughs> yeah. The first yeah, time founder. It, it kind of stings in a weird way, right? Like if, in ways you've never felt before. Yeah. It's like you got left, but also you're happy for them, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a bittersweet thing. But at the end yeah. of the day, again, that's, that's what you realize over three startups that I made that, okay. Um, while you're working with me, however long, yeah. My job is to push you to become better. And your job is to help us, not me, help the team get where we're supposed to while you're still with me. Now, if yes. you want to stay here longer and you think you're going to keep growing, then by all means, all you're going to expect from me is 100%. And that's what I expect from you too. That's it. Okay. Last, now, how did you grow, Mata? And how did early come through? Because you mentioned you have a shit ton of employees now from three... Walk me through all the, these things and what were the products you were selling or services that you were selling? Mm, okay. Uh, I'll, so, so there's an outline that I'll follow. I'll try to like get it done in like uh, a short amount of time, but this is how. Um, so I started with Mata, um, but all the way to like the end of 2020, we never really grew, grew past seven employees. All right. So we started with five, 2020, and then ended in 2020 with seven. And I'm like... What's, what am I doing wrong? Uh, what's happening? What's, mm. what's the issue? Um, and uh, so that's when uh, Ehrlich came along. Uh, 2020 mm. was the year when we started. Um, Bastian, who is the CEO now of Ehrlich, um, mm. we've been friends for like for years by that point. And uh, he, he has, well, we're, first of all, we're big fans of Silicon Valley, the HBO show. Um and uh, ah, that's why you call our, it early. Got it. Uh, yes and no. Okay. But uh, but uh, I'll explain. Um, so Bastian and I have been hanging out uh, like regularly. Um, and then it became virtually, you know, uh, through Got the it. pandemic. And mm -hmm. we've always been like telling each other about um the dishonesty that we were dealing with, respectively. Like mm -hmm. we were ranting to each other. We were like uh you know group therapy, you know. <laughs> um. <laughs> And uh, so we, we, too. Okay. Mm. we joked about um, if we were to start a company, you know what? We should call it Honest. Mm. And uh, we'd be honest with everyone. Um, and that's what, you know, and that started out as a joke, really. And actually, Ehrlich means honest. 
That's the that's the literal translation uh, of the word. In I thought the freaking early in Silicon Valley. Okay, <laughs> it's a common misconception, but it's mm. yeah, it is also kind of like flamboyant in a way, which is the exact right. opposite of what early as a brand is. Mm. Um, but but yeah, uh, so we it started in 2020, and I uh, it resonated with me um, that we were going to start a software development company because I couldn't find career growth for our two software engineers. Mm. You know what am I going to do with them? Um, not mm. just virtual tools forever. Not they're not going to grow like that. Yep. So software engineers and Bastion has already had experience with software outsourcing. All right. Yep. Um, so we kind of just put our heads together, and in 2020, finally we said, uh, you know what? That thing that we were joking about, let's do it. And we did. And we joke about it in this way. We say we started Erlik via Lalamove. <laughs> what? How? Via Lalamove. We incorporated the company, never having set foot on SEC. Wow. Yeah. And well, I mean, uh, because it's not of unheard of now. Yeah, because it's pandemic, and uh, it's not not unheard of now because you know you can do things online now. But back yep, then, yep. you couldn't. Phone right. calls, Lala move. That's how. Um. So so now that's when I say. Uh, I mean, when we started uh, Erlik, we I think we entered the 2021 year um with like five employees at Erlik as well. So we were like 12 altogether. Okay. Um, and then uh, so that's okay. We entered 2021, and uh, this is uh, the outline that I'm talking about, right? With like massive growth for Erlik. Now, all the way to the end of 2021, there was typhoon or death. All right. Um, mm, wow. That was like when I formed my impression that look, Mata is a great company. We have a, we have carved out a particular niche, and we you know I can confidently say we don't have a competitor in this like um, opportunity, a land of opportunity. All right, which is the mm. market. Mm-hmm. But it's just not making nearly as much money as Erlik. Okay. The profit ratio, like profit stress ratio in Manta is look like way off compared to Erlik. Especially yeah. that Erlik actually does software outsourcing, but only staff augmentation. We joke about it by saying we're a glorified manpower service. Yeah. So like very little stress for you know that profit, which is the exact opposite for Manta. So we ended 2021 thinking, you know what? Do we still want to keep this company? Probably not. And then the other mentor that I have, uh, which is like uh, a past president in the local Cebu chamber, um, like business chamber, I consulted him like, you know, on and off. I, I always consulted him. And that was the last thing that I asked him for. Um, at the time, I said, look, I have Ehrlich. It's making good money. And this is what I can define my career with. But Mata that I've carved out a particular niche that I've secured a position for. I don't want to keep it. Like I would rather just like let it sail off into the sunset with a voice. Like, dude, uh, you're my employees, but you now own the company. Go and be free. Like that's what I was thinking. Uh, I would end the the year with 2021. He said, "Well, it may not be relevant now. Your stress may be high now, but once you mature, once you have uh, like in you have enough experience in your under your wings to run it in a way that it's not stressful." What you have is a gold mine. Like what you have is a is a good position in the market that is yeah. like a, a blue ocean for you. Yeah. I'm like, well, all right, I'll stick it. I'll stick it out. I was not really convinced, to be mm. honest, um, that I would keep it because again, Erlik is really what makes money. But um, Odette, which is why I mentioned it, at you know at the end of Odette, um, like Cebu was like the the worst it's ever been hit. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people say still like worse than like two decades ago. Yeah. Ruping, uh, they called it. Um, more than two decades of go- uh, ago, of course, but at the end of 2021, Odette like kind of exclaimed or uh, like you know uh, dotted that journey that oh, 
na when when Odette came, um, I was I had to drive for eight days. I drove to everyone because I couldn't reach them by phone. Like cellular signal was off for like a couple yeah. of days. Yeah. Um, so I I drove to everyone and we were like we kind of bonded, I guess I would say. I drove mm-hmm. to every address on file. And it was payroll too, like 16. That was December 16 when it hit. And yeah. our payroll is tw- uh, December 20. So it's like the ATM queues were like hellish long. Yeah. Um, so it was a crisis all around. Um, but towards the end of that year, I said, uh, I, I I figured that, you know what? This is not just a business, not just money that we're after here. We're like looking after our circles. Like we strategically um, assigned who's going to get gas, who's going to get water, who's going to distribute mm. the filtration systems. So, so we did all that as a team. And I, I was like, you know, I felt like we were uh, doing more than just business here. So that's 2021. 2022 is the most interesting part because this is how Mata matured into becoming an actual business. Because 19 and 2020 and maybe 2021, it was just more like R&D mindset, mm. you know? Maybe it'll work, but, you know, the business mm. will probably be profitable, blah, blah, blah. But in 2022 is when it actually became, you know, it actually became a business that can be that ha- that was profitable in a couple of months, and so you know that comfort gave us like, oh yeah, the market needs us, so we can mm-hmm. um, flesh out our products and services even further. And most importantly, that was the the year where over time our CEO now, because I'm no longer the CEO of that company, mm-hmm. um, but as of this year, 2023, uh, it has its own uh, CEO, and it was through that year that she crystallized her decision to join us full time so mm. um we you know we keep joking but you know these are actually true that we poached that business development head for a group of companies <laughs> in mm. cebu for to join mata for half the pay and indeed wow. that's exactly what's happening now wow so, so yeah 2022 we ended and then 2020 uh, 2022 also for mata as it crystallized its products and services early doubled 2022 doubled um, Ehrlich in numbers. So I think we started that um, with uh, like 13 or 14 people. And then, uh, yeah, uh, we, we we doubled uh, by the end of 2022. That is amazing. And again, what it seems to me, uh, and I, I quote uh, Steve C for this, that, you know, there are businesses that are just bamboo businesses. So when they say bamboo businesses, where mm. a bamboo, according to him, right? It will probably take a couple of years. It won't, you won't even see shit. It's just there growing its roots underground. And then there will be one year with boom, all of a sudden it just uh, skyrockets vertically. Right. And it's like, bamboo I think, uh, uh, bamboo, uh, bamboo, Mata is, is one of those <laughs> where, you know, you brew, you brew, you brew, you prepare yeah. for that offshoot that when it takes off, it's not yeah. even a J curve, it's vertical, right? Yeah. It's a vertical line that just goes through the roof. And that's it. So, all right, that's I, an amazing. I, I hope. <laughs> so there, you. But you you can patent that too. Ryan Tan, you vertical business. I uh, know ba- uh, bamboo business. <laughs> the bamboo philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. All right, now let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now talk about how you're able to actually manage two things and actively participate in how uh, what the future holds for both Mata okay. and Erlik. Let's talk about that more after the break. 
Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn in flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. And we're rocking the break. We are still with Ryan Tan Yu, who just literally came down from a bamboo shoot. Uh, <laughs> and, and doing all of this. But Ryan, uh, again, very impressive what you've done with with Ehrlich and Mata, right? But I have this, uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, in both companies, you're no longer CEO. Correct. Okay, so that's very rare. And I think there's a lot of humility and there's a lot of self-actualization for you to be able to do that. Walk me through those decisions of why you had to step aside. Uh, to mm. let someone run it as a CEO? And how do you divide your time now to do both things and still add value for both? Okay. Um, so first of all, uh, I say that uh, it is in many ways that you see it in many angles seen mm. as, uh, you know, um, based on humility that that uh, direction was taken, right? But yeah. actually, I want to I wanna rephrase that to be like technically accurate. I would say it's a reality. Like, mm. so when I say reality... Uh, I realized, and this is what I what I said earlier that as early as you can realize these things is mm-hmm. like as you know as as well of a success you may have. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized early that I couldn't grow. Like I I I'm not the guy that brings people to stability. You know, um, I may be the guy that can start things. You're zero and to one. The yeah the zero to one. Um, or technically in my case the one to ten. Okay. But the 11 to 100, that's not me. Scaling. Now, that's mm. reality to me. And um, to be honest, it wasn't like it was never a conflict, like an internal conflict where I thought, oh, I have to like let go. I actually like knew that from the beginning. Like, you know, I had no professional experience in growing a team, you know, got it. Uh, it's not like I managed teams before. Like the, the closest I ever got was as a team lead in the call center world. So I knew from the beginning that, sure, I may be able to conceptualize these market trends in a way that can turn into practical and profitable solutions, but actually growing a team, an organization, I don't think that's me. So in order, Mata and Ehrlich, with Mata, I've always had that in mind. Like mm. I've always, uh, yeah. So so now that the CEO is like a, a, long plan, a long-term plan, really, that it has its own CEO that's, of course, like magnitudes more. Yeah. Um, competent and uh, expert uh, and qualified than me. Mm-hmm. But in Ehrlich, actually, software outsourcing, um, I'm not a developer. All mm-hmm. I had in my back pocket back, back by that time was my experience in running a Philippine business. So I also knew that I won't be the CEO, although that was kind of uh, what we were like pushing to each other at the beginning. Like, no, you yeah. be the CEO. No, you be the CEO, Bastian and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, ultimately it became that well, all right, Bastian's going to be talking to the client. So, mm. you know, you got, you you have to be the CEO. You have the technical expertise. I'll do all the Philippine side of things like right. admin, SS, big HMO, mm. tax, you know. So in terms of like why I'm not CEO, I appreciate you saying that, you know, it's based on humility, but I, I would ra- rather say that it's reality. I can't be. I'm not the CEO. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting because... What founders don't understand, and again, this is a lot of the kids that <laughs> throw the fucking name CEO everywhere. 
right? You have right, right, no right. idea what that job means. Okay, <sighs> so when yeah. there, there's two things, they what what people don't realize, and early entrepreneurs, everybody mm. wants a CEO title. Nobody can. Act. There's a. It's hard. Okay, it's really not not easy, and you have to grow into the role. Let me tell you the job description of those two things because zero to one being founder is a totally different job than one to 10, 10 to 100, 100 to 1,000. That's CEO. Those are two yeah. different things. Yeah. Okay. When you're a founder, their objective is to what? Number one, validate that there is a problem uh, and that problem it requires a solution, right? Yes. You need to build an MVP to validate if that thing works yeah. and get a little bit of traction. And if you can get some funding through revenue and whatnot, that's great. And then great, great growth. Uh, great crew founders. You can never replace a founder because a founder is the founder. He's the one who fucking created the whole thing. Unfortunately, that's touch move. Okay. That's so it's yeah. a, right. So founder or co-founder, whatever you freaking call yourself, it doesn't really matter. But that's the zero to one process, right? Um, that's why again, you can be founder and you cannot be then you have to grow to becoming CEO. Because that yeah. CEO entails company building and company scaling. The right. job of a CEO then, again, I've said this before in past episodes, you need to define the North Star. Number two, hire the right team. Number three, um, get resources. How? What resources? Funding, sales, yes. whatever. And number four, remove any obstacle along the way. Um, Make it seamless for everyone. For, for everyone. That's a but there's a lot more that goes through the, uh, under yeah, that the as well. There's right. your chief CEO sometimes in the very early uh, days, it's not chief executive uh -huh. officer. You're chief everything officer. You can be janitor. You <laughs> can be whatever. Officer. Right? Whatever. <laughs> Just a chief everything. So when shit yeah. hits the fan, it's your ass that needs to save the day. Right? Yeah. It doesn't matter uh, what that is. And the, the overarching thing with becoming CEO, number one, is you have to grow into that role. And if you feel like that's not you, right. I like what you did, Ryan. Because that's... A lot of this, the main core skill of becoming CEO, and if you're not just ready for it, and some yeah. people really don't, that's why their company struggles because they never grow into that role, mm. is leadership. Yeah. And the type of leadership that's needed to thrive in this role mm. is servant leadership, right? And it's hard. It's I'm still growing through it. I'm, I'm at year what? Year mm. fucking 12? Year 13? doing this but I evolve along the way I, I stumble so much a lot of the mistakes um, that I went through it's yeah. because I'm just growing into that role of becoming a full uh, CEO am I fucking better than CEO of Party File before fuck yeah it's not even close <laughs> but I feel like I have still so much ahead of time mm. but was it easy did I want to get help fuck I, I realized it but Maybe it's just in me that I really like that challenge because I also like it mm. when people, especially when you're getting the feedback from the people that stuck with you from the start. Like, you know what, Ron? Yeah. You've come a long yeah. way. Yeah. That you really grew us. You, you, before, so you were fucking a, you were a temperamental son of a bitch. <laughs> Still am, but I have more <laughs> poise now, right? Yeah. But it's yeah. those things. So you have to want it. And if you feel like you're going to be the one setting your team aside and you're like you like doing the zero to one guy then you need to surround yourself with co-founders that are going to be willing yes. to become ceo yes indeed 
hundred percent. And uh, there's also, I guess, uh, with that um, humility thread that you kind of spun yes. earlier, um, there's also this uh, th- this perspective that, yeah, no, f- seek your glory somewhere else if yeah. it gets in the way of like having a profitable and actual like functioning organization. Because I, I think, and this is my personal opinion, that a lot of yeah kids um, like throw around the uh, the CEO title not understanding the full scale of so yeah, like, its it, like... implications <laughs> right yeah so um and and actually i think i'm just fortunate that i had this um say early glimpse at popularity yeah. like yeah you know when, when i did something right i got recognized in davao and i was like mm. whoa i didn't i don't like this kind of life where mm. you know people know you a lot of people know you um mm. and that's when i think i i, I would actually say that it had uh, a major part in my like desire to like lay low or like my desire to not be the guy, like not be the face of that company because I knew that like, well, flawed as I am, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, excuse me, uh, as credible as I may be, I'm flawed. Like I'm a person that, that, you know, posts stupid shit on social media. So it's like, nah, I can't, I can't like, like have the, the entire back of the company, um, like way behind uh, its entire weight behind me as its representative. Yeah. The face of the company. Yeah. Right. So, and yeah, there's that. That's what people don't understand also sometimes. That we have, we glorify the, the game, the title CEO so much. Like, like that's it's the end all be all. Most, if not all, successful CEOs have other C-level executives that have he surrounded himself with. CMO, yeah. COO, CMO, mm. whatever, right? <laughs> that it's as equal as, as uh, that, that CEO has no chance of success if they didn't surround themselves with right. those types of people. Right. That, you know, that don't want the limelight, but yeah. my God, sometimes they are the martyrs. They're not. Oh, yeah. char- they're yeah. not. Char- they're not charlatan. They just don't want the limelight. They're just gonna keep right. chugging away at the work. They mm. don't want the yes. shit. But my God, they're so important, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And truly, the CEOs now, uh, Erica and Bastian, um, of Mata and Ehrlich, are are exactly that. Like I'm the guy out here, like you know, talking in podcasts. Yeah. About them, because you know they don't want to do it themselves. <laughs> right. So they're yeah. a little bit of a martyr CEO, but doesn't mean that they're they're martyr. So and with those with this role that you're doing, describe to me the dynamic of what your role is. If you're not CEO, uh, what, what does a Ryan Tan you do for both companies that add impact? Because you're still within that grind, but you okay. stepped aside as being CEO. Okay, so there's uh, it's it's very simple. Um, but I want to contextualize this with saying that in the end of 2020, I sought counseling because I was so f- uh, feeling so uneasy about myself, not being okay. able to grow the company. And um, that resulted to this realization um, that I actually like challenge. Like mm-hmm. if things are going well, I cannot process them, which means that I have to constantly put myself in situations where it's challenging. It's something that has to be accomplished. It never ends, you know? Um, and that's why I felt uneasy about growing the company or uh, about like, you know, running the company because it was reaching a point of stability. Now, I say that mm. um, in the face of this uh, question, because right now I depend on the CEOs, that's Erica and Bastian, for their vision of the company. And I am the guy that enjoys making said vision reality. So I'm the guy that makes this these things happen. So for example, if you look at my calendar, I have like regular calls with everyone, all the managers in both companies. And these CEOs don't have to. 
the CEOs, well, they do, but they so don't operations. have to be in that Yes. So operations, mm. like we have a regular process for like, um, you know, uh, with metricized attitude, competency and efficiency, which is ACE for short, ACE. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've me- uh, we've made it so that we have a regular report for um, how far along are we according to the plan that we set out for yeah. ourselves. We said we were going to accomplish this year, um, yeah. this quarter. Is it going according to plan? So all that stuff and yeah. a little bit of reach out. So sometimes I do travel to meet with the local government units when the CEO, for example, for Mata is unable to. Yeah. Um, but like mostly COO stuff, like textbook COO That's really like- is all I do. That's nice. And again, that's, that's, that's equally as important. Like, uh, again, I love the humility that, all right, this is how, because at the end of the day, I always say it, startups is a team sport. You oh, cannot yes. win alone. And if you know, no. like, for example, the CEO needs to be the point guard and set everybody else mm. to, to be able to eat and yeah. shoot and then just get win, set the play, yeah. get, get assemble the defense, be the extension of the coach. Yeah. At, at the floor and if you feel like you're not going to be the point guard because your ball handling handling skills suck right. but you're a great <laughs> fucking three-point shooter and mm. that allows you to win yeah you step aside and play that role and do it well yeah. and that's you being the CEO if your contribution is going to be the best freaking shooter or you're the best freaking operator that you can be let somebody else be the point guard but yeah. it doesn't mean that you're not important because how do people win? It's by fucking put the, putting the ball in the basket, right? You know, and if you're going to be the, again, if you're going to be the best rebounder, then be the best fucking rebounder. It's still a team sport. Who wins? Yeah. Is it Ryan only? It's everybody. It's a team it's sport. It's everybody. Yes. There you go. All right. Now, <laughs> before we wrap this baby up, what's next for both Mata and Ehrlich, Ryan? Okay. Well, um, Mata, I have distinctly different um and I'll, I'll i'll yeah i'll elaborate so mm-hmm. mata um to simplify is a domestic company we've okay. had um clients tap us to like enti- an entire uh, european uh country to be uploaded on google maps which wow. was like you know at the time way beyond uh, our capabilities mm-hmm. we've had like um like uh, international endeavors where we presented our uh, tourism uh, 3d scans to um, Sweden uh, went to Mongolia for the development forum. Um, wow. But but I mean, we've done international stuff with Mata, but mm. ultimately it is a domestic company that its mission is to spread economic development to the lesser known places by bringing tourists tourists mm. there. So, um, so in a few words, Mata, what's next for Mata is to continue to do the things that it's been doing just more publicly this time. Because we nice. did all those things like Cebu, Bohol, Negros Oriental, we, yeah, yeah. like Central Visayas and now Shargao and then Luzon, Pampanga. I mean, I, I can't remember all of it now, but point is like Mata who did all of that silently. So now we're trying to understand, or excuse me, we're slowly understanding the value of PR. Mm. Um, and uh, it's basically, yeah, only this year did we start doing that. Well, thanks for the CEO, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Mata, again, it'll simply be doing the same things it's been doing, but this time more publicly. Making noise, technically. Making noise. That's, that's <laughs> why you're in the podcast. Island, virtual maps, mm-hmm. indeed. All right. All right. And now, now so what about Mata. for Ehrlich? Now, Ehrlich, uh, and actually there's a fusion between Mata and Ehrlich, I'll, which I'll kind of like cherry on top later. Okay. Um, but Ehrlich will simply also still do the same things that it's been doing, which is simply to grow horizontally. 
And yep. that's by uh, hiring more people and let's just like improving our uh, talent sourcing process because, you know, as, as of today, we just hurl money at Job Street and LinkedIn. Yep, yep. Um, and then more clients, right? We're also starting to reach out. Um, we've never cow. had sales from the beginning. Yeah. We've we never had sales, a uh, sales process, I mean. Nice. Um, people just kind of stumbled into our door. Um, referrals were the, you know, the, the name of the game. Um, but again, like what's next for, for Ehrlich is just that. Lastly, there's Matza Services, uh, and I'm not sure if that name will stick, mm. but um, we are offering the skill set that we have accumulated over the years at Matza, which is the expertise in art and creativity, UI, UX, design, mm -hmm. um, and offering that to the international market. Just like much in the same way that Ehrlich offers software engineering to Australia and US and the Europe, uh, European countries soon. We want to offer Matza services, which is again like all the 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 non-tech, let's say, non-engineering yeah. um, yep. jobs. Yeah, in an hourly basis. So that's nice. Yeah, all the three uh, Matza, Ehrlich, and Matza services. Those are uh, for the foreseeable future. What the three founders, me, Eric, and Bashan, will have our hands full with. That is amazing. Again, thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you so much. I, I, I love your story. And again, I, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be the last time you're going to have here and we're going to watch your growth along the way through the years. But before I let you go, what invite people over if they want to work with you in Mata or Early or Mata Services, where do they go and how do they do that? Okay, um, well... Uh, I guess my first pitch is next week. Um, I'm speaking at the Philippine Blockchain Week to talk about the metaverse and mm -hmm. uh, its practical applications in today's society, in the Philippine economy. Mm -hmm. um, but if you were to join us, uh, we'll mm -hmm. fund your trip, you know, all expense paid. <laughs> nice. Um, when when we're going out to LGUs, like our employees have like the best lives. They dive, they like they, they ride on private planes. They go mm -hmm. all around the country in like hidden gems. If you want to join us, just reach out. Um, info at matza.ph is mm -hmm. the way to go. Um, and uh, so, so I'm talking about influencers mainly because, you know, we don't publicize as well as we should. So mm -hmm. please help us with that, I guess. Um, and early, it's simply if you are a software engineering and you like the 40-hour work week and you, on average, we pay 100K um, a month for mm -hmm. as, as as young as 28 years old. That's wow. the average, the median age and mm -hmm. the median salary in Ehrlich. If you want to make money, um, you're an engineer, come join us. Ehrlich.ph mm -hmm. is the website and Mata.ph for Mata. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan. And again, if you guys are listening to this and whatever podcast app you're listening to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app, uh, if you see a follow button or subscribe button there, smash that button and also give subscribe. us a five-star uh, thing if you like what you're doing, if you feel like what it is. But again, before we also wrap this baby up, shout out to our premium members on premium.hustleshare.com who now have access to the secret stuff that we have on Hustle Share. So shout out to Migo Gonzalez, Angelo Lee, Emilio Limtan, Mon Quindosa, and our baby boy, Gab Abbott, for always supporting Hustle Share. Thank you. Thank you very much. And again, if you did say some jargon or any of the stuff that we talked about, like the charlatan index, whatever uh, <laughs> that we have, it's going to be in the show notes on hustleshare.com. And again, just like the boys that uh, subscribe to the Hustle Share Premium, you can join that too at premium.hustleshare. Dot com again, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ronster, for having me. Been All looking right. forward to this. Appreciate this. All right. Really look forward to seeing you again as well. Sounds good. We'll see you around, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Peace.